Glad to be in church today. Say yes. That's good. Hey, really excited to be here today. You know, we, uh, we're in this series called um, I Am the Eyes on the Shepherd, and we were actually going to stop it last week. Uh, but when I taught on Psalm 23 just a few weeks ago, uh, I taught a lot on anxiety and depression and some mental health issues, and it just raised the level of concern. Uh, I got a lot of feedback from that, people in our church, as well as what we read in the news. And so I thought, why not talk about it today? Now, how many of you know a worry wart? Raise your hand. How many of you are married to a worry wart? Keep your hand up. Oh, nobody. Okay. That was really good. That was a test. You passed. Man, I think we know people uh, that are anxious, but um, man, as we get into this topic today, I just want to start out with a story. It's a friend of mine, when he graduated from college, uh, he, uh, he, went to, he took off and went to New Zealand for a few months. Must be nice, right? Can't have money is what I tried to tell him. And so that's funny. You should laugh. Come on, let's go. A little engagement will help you. Um, and so he goes to New Zealand for a few months and one night he's out on the beach by himself and he uh, is just enjoying the stars and goes at dusk to go take a swim. And while he's swimming, he kind of just gets disoriented, just gets lost, loses track of time. And by the time he comes to himself, uh, it's dark and he can't find the land. He doesn't know which way to go. Because if he goes the wrong way, he's going to swim himself into eternity. And also, we all know the predators that are in the ocean all the time, especially at night. I mean, in the daytime, something hits my leg. I'm like, it's Jaws, aren't you? <laughs> and so he's out there in the dark. He's disoriented, and he doesn't know what to do. And this can actually be the experience of anxiety. It can disorient you to what's true and what's real. It can distract you from the things that you want most in life. It can cause you to feel like there's darkness swirling around you and you don't know which way to go. You know, anxiety has been called this uninvited guest that shows up uninvited, that shows up and dominates the conversation and distracts you from what is really important. It is the great thief. You know, it robs you of joy. And joy is actually the serious business of heaven, as C.S. Lewis says, contrary to what you may have heard. You know, we are made to live with joy, to have joy, and to take joy to the world, and worry and anxiety will rob you of that. It robs you of relationships. How many times have you been having a conversation in your mind to yourself when someone else is trying to talk to you and you don't hear what they're saying or pay attention to what they're saying? It robs you of productivity because you can't reach your full potential when you're worried about something that may or may not happen. You know, and there's different levels of this word anxiety. It's kind of, it's kind of this overarching umbrella word to categorize a ha handful of different things. So you have worry, and worry is just in your mind. Worry is when you're thinking things that may happen um, and, and you're thinking of some negative thoughts. And have you ever noticed how you think negative thoughts more than positive thoughts? Like how many of you have ever, ever woken up thinking, I hope there's an extra half million dollars in my bank account today. Anybody ever do that? No, but you definitely woke up thinking, I hope the world doesn't end today. I hope nothing bad happens today. I hope everything goes my way today. So that's worry. It's in your mind. And then you have what's called stress. Stress is this physical, it's a physical manifestation of, of worry. It comes into your life and you have some physical responses to it. 
Like when I was a kid, uh, I had some worry issues and some anxiety. And so my mom took me to the doctor because my stomach was hurting. And so the doctor walks into the office. I'm sitting on the exam table and my feet are just going back and forth like that. I'm about eight years old. And the doctor walks in and says, there's nothing wrong with your stomach. The problem is right here. Anybody ever had butterflies? Anybody ever, ever had butterflies? You know, like butterflies can be good, can't they? Like if you have butterflies before you take a test, it'll make you answer all the questions right and make you study, you know? If you have butterflies before a sporting event, it'll make you, you know, reach another level. If you have butterflies before you get up to preach on anxiety, maybe it'll go over well. I mean, you know, but when those butterflies turn into buzzards, that's when they become a problem. When you have this physical manifestation of stress in your stomach, your hands can sweat, your heart can race, you can get short of breath, can give you headaches. It can cause obviously stomach issues, blood pressure issues, heart issues. That's when you have stress. And then you have what's called anxiety. Now anxiety is when both of those are combined together. You have worry and you have stress and then it just begins to have physical effects in your body. And that's the technical term of anxiety. And then, of course, you have anxiety disorders. Now, just a quick note on that. Like, anxiety disorders are extremely serious. And, and they are so debilitating and destructive that they require treatment and counseling. And so, as I use the word anxiety as this overarching word today, I'm going to use it in the same way I just described it as this umbrella word. But for some of you who are facing anxiety disorders, in order for you to climb up out of the pit, you may need some you may need some treatment and counseling, but here's what I will not give away. Here's what I will not give away is the fact that God can heal even that, amen? Like if we believe that God can heal, God can even heal anxiety disorders. I am not minimizing them. And as a matter of fact, what you're gonna hear today is me legitimizing some of them and legitimizing worry, probably more than you've ever heard, but you do not have to live in that. Now, do you, may you need a little help? Yes, but I believe that God can heal you of all those things. Because the reality is we have worry for good reason, amen? Like there are some things that have happened to some of you that cause you to worry about things. You know, maybe you grew up broke as a joke and you worry about money and your theory is money's flat meant to be stacked. So we always have enough and you worry about money and you worry about the future and you want to take care of yourself because you had some pain from the past. You know, maybe you had, maybe you had your, uh, your parents got divorced and so you're worried about maybe abandonment or your family breaking up. It could have been that one of your parents cheated on the other. And so you worry about your spouse cheating on you. It could be that you know, have known people who have had some health problems, so you worry about your health. Or maybe you got a diagnosis from a doctor and, and you, you were worried or anxious about that. Listen, there are some legitimate reasons that we worry. And those thoughts will preoccupy our mind. However, what I do believe is that God wants you to be free of that. Amen? Like God wants to set you free from that. And I believe that today can be the day. Now, I don't believe there's a magic bullet. I don't believe there's a vaccination for this or uh, any other thing that can help you automatically. But I, more, than, more than minimizing what you're going through or have gone through or will go through, I want to maximize who you're going through it with. I'm going to say that again and you're going to say amen. When, when I, rather than minimizing what you're going through, I want to maximize who you're going through it with. And so this is going to be my approach today. And I want it to be one that's very straightforward, but also caring for your soul in some way that I can't even explain. Now, now I'm going to start off with this question. Like, what's preoccupying your mind that's robbing you of what matters most? What thought is rolling around on replay in your mind that is robbing you of what 
matters most. This is what worry is. This is what anxiety is. This is what stress is. And listen, I don't speak to you as someone from the Ivy Tower just telling you to get your act together. And some of you who struggle with this, you feel isolated. And you feel like on the outskirts, you feel like you're less than, that God can't use you. And I'm about to just change your world. Because I want you to believe differently today. Listen, I grew up in a house where my father struggled with mental health issues. And if I could go back and do it a little differently, I would. And if for some of you who are around that and you don't understand that and you're a little judgmental, I hope that your heart softens a little bit today. Hello. I hope that you begin to see people the way that God does. So with all that in mind, that was a long opening. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four. And this is going to be a lot of fun. Philippians chapter four. Now, now. If you're new to Bible study, we, you can grab a Bible. You can find Philippians in the table of contents. Also, you can go to your phone. You can download the YouVersion app so that you can always have a Bible with you. Um, and if you come here, we're always going to read from the Bible. We believe when we open God's word, God opens his mouth and God will use it in a supernatural way to change your life. Uh, so Philippians chapter four. Now, Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. Let's all say Paul together. Paul. Paul was a baller. Like Paul was amazing. So think about this. Paul is writing this from prison. And he's going to tell us about joy. He's going to tell us about not being anxious. And he's writing this and he is in prison. Paul has been shipwrecked multiple times. Paul has had to, man, he's had to be, you know, smuggled out of cities. He's you know, been hunted down like a wanted man. He reminds me a little bit of the Ukrainian president, President Zelensky. I loved his quote this last week when they said, hey, you want help getting out? He says, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Hello. And I thought that was amazing. Hey, that's Paul. This is his mindset. And this is what Paul is writing. And Paul says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let me just stop right there. As I said earlier, joy is the serious business of heaven. So Paul wants to start out this, this portion of his letter talking about anxiousness, but he wants to start out talking about joy, that God wants us to have joy, that this is, should be the natural way that people who follow Jesus live, we live with joy. It doesn't mean our circumstances are always good, but it does mean that our souls are always settled. They're settled with joy. You know, that's one of the reasons that we have this core value around here that we call fun is fundamental. It's one of our cultural values. Man, we like to have fun. We like to laugh just a little bit or a lot. Man, we like to, we like to play some games because we believe that you have to inject that in today's world because there's plenty of people telling you that life is upside down and you should be anxious. Hello? Like we have plenty of voices saying that, but you should be able to come to a place that can tell you that heaven is about joy and God wants joy for you. Then he goes on. In verse five, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So, so this idea of being reasonable is just to think it through. It's this settled understanding to make wise decisions to lead me towards God. Because here's what can happen sometimes. Sometimes when we, when we think about uh, worry and anxiety, we'll say things like, just, just let go and let God. That is not helpful, is it? Don't worry, be happy. I can remember when I was in my early 20s and um, was worrying about something and I was meeting with the guy and he was like, hey, here, here's the way you handle it. If, if you can do something about it, do it. If you can't, stop worrying. I'm like, you're stupid. <laughs> that does not work. 
Man, our reasonableness, though, doesn't mean we just accept all things and it's all going to work out in the end. It means we think it through. It means that we make conscious decisions to put God first. We make, we make thoughtful progress about worry, but we also know who can handle our worry. This is what this idea of being reasonable means. And in a world that's looking for an answer, Christians should exhibit the type of reasonable peace that only God can provide. Amen? Like in a world where anxiety seems to be rampant and every study in the paper is telling, or on the, on the, new, on the web, I'm old, um, should tells us that we should be anxious or that people are anxious. Just remember, they get paid for us to be anxious. Hello? Like that's the business that we're in. And as people who follow Jesus, we should live differently. And so Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to the world. The Lord is at hand. Man, because we know what God has done. We know what God has done. And peace is the promise of God. And God, for many of you, has rescued you from some dark things. He may have saved your marriage. He may have saved you from addiction. It may, it, it may have been infertility. God has come in and answered a massive prayer. There are a lot of ways that God has stepped in your life, and we have to hang on to that because it's easy for us to forget. Let your reasonableness be known. Then he goes in verse 6, and he says this. Don't be anxious about anything. It says anything right there, y'all. Like anything. Wars or famines or stock market collapse. Illness. Rebellious children. He says anything right there. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just look at this word right here that says don't be anxious. The word right there. The word for anxious literally means to be pulled apart. So it's like your brain, your mind is pulled apart. Like there's something you're supposed to be doing, a place you're supposed to be going, something you're supposed to be thinking about, but you get distracted and it's pulled apart. Have you ever had this experience? You're like, ah, part of me wants to, part of me doesn't. That's this idea of your mind being pulled, pulled apart. And in the Bible, the most often repeated command, it's not thou shalt pray. It's not thou shalt love your neighbor most often repeated command is do not fear. Why do you think that is? Because God knew we would be afraid. We're trying to minimize what we went through, but to maximize who we're going through it with. Listen, God cares about what you care about. God cares about what you care about. You know, so many times people will say, you know, 85% of what you worry about will never happen. So? <laughs> like, I'm still worried about it. People are still worried about it. God doesn't minimize it and say, ah, pish posh, shouldn't, you shouldn't be worried about that. Man, God cares about what you cared about, big and small. God cares about it. Any attitude that minimizes fear is fake because you can't help and if we try to say it doesn't exist or minimize it and it's not going to happen you know the heroes of the faith man they some of them struggled 
with anxiety and depression is kind of an add-on to that. There's a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. And many, many of us who came up studying preaching, man, he's always the one that we go to. There's stories of Charles Spurgeon being in the corner in his office, curled up in a fetal position, not able to, not able to operate. Yet God used him to influence generations and to set the groundwork for the church to move forward in Great Britain. Mother Teresa struggled with anxiety and depression, yet all of us have heard of her, and we know what a massive movement she led. What about C.S. Lewis? We've read a lot of his books. Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Mere Christianity, and the list goes on. Struggled with depression, yet God would still use him. And what I would tell you today is you may feel like you're out of the game because of worry and anxiety and depression and stress, but there's a different promise from God. Man, God wants to use you desperately. King David, King David in the Bible, one of the great figures in the Bible, great kings in the Bible, and we read his prayers in the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 27, he doesn't try to minimize what he's going through. He's just maximizing God. Like, listen to some of his words. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. See, his confidence wasn't in his circumstances. It was in the God who was in the middle of his circumstances with him. He says this, if my mother and father have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. You see, he didn't try to minimize what he was going through. He just tried to maximize who God was. There's a lot of things that may never happen, but that isn't always helpful to us. You know, Jesus experienced a high level of stress in his life. When Jesus was on the way to be executed, the night before it happened, he knew he was about to be arrested. He grabs three of his followers and says, hey, come pray with me. So they come and they, pray with, they begin to pray with him. And he says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. It says that Jesus sweated drops of blood. That's a physical phenomenon called hemotidrosis. That when you're under an intense amount of pressure, your capillaries that are surrounding your sweat glands, they burst and you literally sweat drops of blood. This is the level of pressure that Jesus was under. So listen, God cares about what you care about. He, he came to be with us and to experience some of the same things that we experience. So let's don't, let's don't, minimize, don't minimize what you're going through, but let's maximize who you're going through it with. Here, and peace is the promise that we have from God. Peace is the promises that we have. Listen, God understands your tears. God understands your tears. I was talking with a friend recently, and I'm prone to want to fix the problem. Any fixers out there? In a conversation, like, I want to fix that problem. And they said, hey, I don't need you to fix it today. I just need you to cry with me. Sometimes that's what people need. In Psalm chapter 56, it says that you have, count, you have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. So you get this imagery of God so close and so caring that he puts your tears in a bottle to save them and treasure them. This is how close God is, even though you, your mind feels pulled apart and distracted. You see, what happens is we start out with something that we care about, and we, and we should care. We should be good stewards. We should pay attention to things. We start out with care, but then care turns into being consumed. 
we, we just begin to be, think about it. We begin to try to control it. And we just become consumed with it. And then we, then we catastrophize it. You see, anxiety is a vision for the future that has no hope. And hope is like oxygen. You got to have it to live. Have you ever catastrophized your thoughts at all? Where you just take one thought and you run the what if scenario to its logical conclusion that the earth is going to explode in 24 hours. I I can remember when Debbie and I first got married, uh, we bought our first house. And I can remember buying the house and going to closing. And back then, closing was like all day. It was all these papers you had to sign. I remember I wrote the largest check I'd ever written. I think it was like $3,000 or something. And I was just a wreck. We go to the house. We're cleaning it up. Debbie goes to Walmart. I lay in the floor thinking I've just ruined our financial future (laughs) for my generation and generations to come. You ever done that? What about this? Once I was, um, had gone to give blood for a friend of mine, he was having surgery. And so I go to give blood and I go to the blood bank and nurse comes and she checks my pulse. And I did have one. Uh, she checks my pulse and she gets up and goes and brings another nurse, comes, checks my pulse again, gets up, goes, comes back with the supervisor, checks my pulse. I'm like, is there a problem, ma'am? <laughs> she says, Mr. Gibbs, when's the last time you went to the doctor? I'm like, ma'am, I'm 23 and bulletproof. I don't need to go to the doctor. She says, I said, why? She says, well, maybe, maybe, you should, maybe you should go to the doctor as quick as possible, which for me in that moment took me about five minutes. And in the five minutes that it took me to go from, the, from where I was giving blood to the doctor's office, I had given myself, oh, six months to live. <laughs> so now I've ruined my wife's financial future and she's going to be a widow. I was fine, for those of you who care. I didn't tell the last service and they were on the edge of their seat. But we do this. We can catastrophize. Now, that doesn't mean that every situation that we go into doesn't require some concern. Because I've also been called into the room at the hospital when they sit you down and the social worker tells you, hey, we're not sure your child's going to make it. And those are very real events in the lives of people. But we have to be careful that we don't begin to catastrophize and feel like God is not with us. And God wants to be with us even in the midst of our worry. But if we worry, man, we have no capacity to enjoy today. You know, anxiety actually reveals some things about us. There's actually some good uses of anxiety. You know, anxiety is a little bit like smoke. You follow the smoke, you find the fire. And anxiety is the same way. Man, you follow anxiety, you'll find out what you're trusting in. You'll, you'll find out where, where your treasure really is. And usually anxiety kind of reveals a couple of different things. It reveals, number one, where I'm not in control. Any control freaks in the room? Raise your spouse's hand because you know they are. Like we know some, we, we, we like control. Man, we like to be in control. We are people that kind of make it happen. We're used to making things happen, making waves when we need to, putting things together, pushing the ball forward. We're leaders. This is what we do. We like to be in control. And the kindest thing that God can do for us is to show us that we're not. The kindest thing that God can do for us is show us that we're not in control because really we're not in control. I think the first time you realize you're not in control is when you get married and you have children. Hello, somebody. Parents of small kids in the room, parents of teenagers in the room, you know it, right? You're good with it. Let's go. 
Man, we know we are not in control. Hey, the second thing, the second big bucket that anxiety and fear will help us to see and, and what, what causes it is we believe and we get anxious and have worry when we don't think that we are enough. When we feel like we don't have what it takes, man, when we look around and everybody else seems to have it together, they're stronger, they're faster, they're more beautiful, they're, more, they're richer, and we don't feel like we don't feel like we're enough. Just to run through a couple of examples of these, think about failure for a minute. For some of you, greatest fear is failure. Failure at a marriage, failure at work, failure at a project, failure around your house. Like you live with this fear of failure because why? You don't, you're not sure that you're enough. You're not sure you're smart enough. You're not sure you belong. You're not sure that you're valuable enough. And let me just tell you something. You're not. God is. And when God breathes new life into you and new identity into you, you can conquer the world. But this is because of who God is in you, not who you are on your own. So take heart. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be on. You have nothing to prove to anybody. Jesus has already done the work for you. Hey, what about money? Anybody worry about money in the house today? <laughs> Anybody like it's, it's up, always up there at the top of the list. No, no matter how much money you have, there's always a little more in there. Always a little more that could help me. Always a little more that provide me some security and stability. And do you ever notice the more money you get, the more you think about it and worry about it? Like think about your car. Like some of you, when you graduated from, from high school, like from, yeah, from high school, like me or whatever, the first car that you had, it just was this hoopty beater and you didn't care. You hit the curb with it. You'll run up against somebody's car. You hit a friend with it once when you got mad. I mean, you didn't care. Then you got that new Tesla. It's like, ooh, I'm going to park it out in the parking lot. <laughs> like, I don't want to get close. It could get dinged up. Hey, what about furniture? Like you, I can remember you get that first couch. It's like, ooh, this is not that hand-me-down anymore. And, and someone comes over to your house. Guests come over. You're like, ooh, I wonder if they're going to sit on my new couch. <laughs> like, they got red wine. They can't sit on the couch. Debbie, can you put plastic on that, please? I mean, it begins to own us. And we know that God's the one who gave it to us in the first place. And when it owns us, guess what? We're not generous. We don't live the life that God's called us to live because stuff begins to own us. Hey, here's one that'll make us not laugh. Kids. Ooh, anybody worry about your kids? Well, some of you I know and you should be. <laughs> I just, I couldn't resist. Too funny. <laughs> ah. You worry about your kids. You worry about, are they going to be okay? You worry about, are they going to learn the right things? Are they going to be safe? Are they going to believe the right things? Are they going to be able to provide for me in my old age? I mean, we worry about our kids, but they're not ours. They're God's. And I can't, you can't control them. And your attempts at being a helicopter parent do nothing but drive them away because you just want to be in control. And our job is to raise them and to love them and to care for them as best we can so they can be functioning, faith-filled adults. Man, man, there's also this fear of death. And it's a very real fear. And the truth is we, we are going to die. And until we've reconciled this question of what happens to us, we'll never learn free, live in freedom. We'll always live in fear. And Jesus came along so that we didn't have to live in that fear of death. 
Man, it doesn't matter how, what, what people tell us and how much money they spend trying to convince us we can live forever. It's not going to happen. Let me ask you this. What, what fear triggers your worry? Like when you think about something bad happening, like, like what is the fear? Is it a fear that you're not in control? Or is it a fear that, that, that you won't measure up? It's a fear that you don't have any value and worth. It's a fear that you don't have enough. Listen, God loves you too much to let you depend on something that can't deliver what matters most. God loves you too much to let you depend on anything that can't deliver what matters most. This is the God that we serve. And fear is real and worry is real, but it reveals who we trust. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, Jesus is teaching and he's saying, don't be anxious. And he gets to this part of the, of the teaching and Jesus says this. He says, if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, <clears throat> will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So right here, right here, O you of little faith. What are you trusting? Do you really trust that God's got everything in your life? Do you really trust that God has got everything? And on a level, and when we don't trust God, it's not faith. The Bible will call that sin. And for some of us, we need a little repenting today. And if I could kindly say that, as someone who I feel like, I told my wife this this, this week, that, that probably worry is my greatest sin. And I've come such a long way. God has delivered me from so much in that area. And I think for some of you, the same is true. Could be that there's just some turning. And until you do that, God won't take it away. But as soon as you do, you're going to find the freedom that you've been looking for. Now, how do we get there? Like, what are the steps? What's it going to take? Let me just remind you, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. So if you feed your mind anxiety, that's what's going to grow. But if you feed your mind peace, that's what's going to grow. And if you can figure out how to starve anxiety, man, that's going to help you. Now, again, I'm not trying to give the magic formula because I know some of you have gone through some tremendous trauma in your life. But I do believe that this can help all of us move down the pathway to faith. You know, Paul, when he says the word, he uses the word by prayer and supplication. The first word he talks about prayer. And we just need to learn to talk to God about what we're talking to ourselves about. <laughs> you ever notice how you're always having a conversation in your brain? Like right now you're having a conversation about the temperature or lunch or something I said or about your anxiety and your worry or about something uh, that you agree with or disagree with, or what I'm wearing. Like you're having some kind of conversation in here. Talk to God about what you keep talking to yourself about that keeps consuming your thoughts. Talk to God about that. Now, the first word when he uses prayer, it's the word talk. It just means normal, average, generic talk. And we need to take some of our head talk and direct that more towards God. It's a game changer. And in our culture of the United States of anxiety, if we could just do this one, it could help change our perspective in life. And when you, some, some people, you don't even know how to pray. The only things you know about prayer are the things maybe that you memorized uh, at your Catholic school or maybe 
things that you heard other people pray. I don't know, did any of you grow up hearing people pray and they prayed in the King James English? Anybody familiar with this? Some of us are familiar with that and it can be a little confusing because we don't say thee and thou anymore, or at least I don't, and I'm pretty cool. But <laughs> y'all are like, no way, huh? You're like, never mind. <laughs> but, if we, but when we think that there's some formalized method to prayer, we miss out on the power of prayer. It's just like talking to a friend. It's just calm. It's normal language like you would talk to someone at work or at a restaurant. And you're like, Stephen, you don't know the words I use. That doesn't matter. God, God, God will take care of that. Talk to God about the things that you're talking to yourself about. The, other, the next word he uses in here is supplications. Supplication. That's not a word that we normally use in, uh, in everyday language. It actually, it actually comes from a phrase that, me, that, that gives the picture of a mom who's begging for the life of her kids. It's this intense prayer. And we need to be as aggressive in our prayer as we are with our worry. And supplication literally means tears, that we should, we should shed some tears. Like when's the last time you shed some tears in prayer over what you were worried about? I was talking to a friend of mine this week who uh, got delivered from significant addiction. He went to a treatment facility and he said the moment where that things changed for him was when he just kind of went outside. He was all by himself, kind of in the wilderness. And he just began to have this type of prayer, intense prayer with God, this honest conversation where he was yelling at God, cursing at God. But in those moments, God came in and freed him. And for some of us, we won't get more of God until God gets more of us. And this is the way that works. You have talk, you have tears. The next thing we see is with gratitude, you have the word thank. We should just be thankful. And we need to be really specific about this. We probably have all read about the value of a gratitude journal. Those things are awesome. But sometimes we can get up and just say the same thing over and over again that we're thankful for without any thought to it. Or we feel like the list is too big, we can't really even dive into it. But every day when you wake up, that's what you should, that should be part of your life. You wake up and you thank God for some very specific things in your life. Whether you have a job or whether you have, you're in school or whether you have clothes or, or whether you have breath or whether you have good health or the things that you love about your life, whether you're married, you just begin to thank God intentionally for that. And then the last one he gives, we see in Philippians chapter four, uh, verse eight. Paul writes this, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says all these good things, think on those. Like think about all the good things, force your attention on all the good things because everything else is taking us to negative things. We live in a 24 seven news cycle, unlike unprecedented in history. And the news that we hear is generally gonna drive us towards anxiety and worry. Let me tell you what to do, turn it off. Well, Stephen, how will I know what happens? Someone will tell you, I promise. I promise someone will tell you. Like, ah, but I need to know, well, do you need to be anxious? Hey, this is on you. You can make it seem like it's extreme or hard. Just turn it off. I know plenty of people who don't look at the news and they seem to be fine. I don't think any of them died yet. Turn it off. 
It's driving your anxiety. Social media. I'm not against social media by any stretch of the imagination. But if you pick that up as a coping mechanism so you don't have to deal with your own thoughts or it makes you feel insecure about anything, guess what? Turn it off. Delete it. You will not die. I promise. The Bible says so. <laughs> Last In the summer of 2020, it's was, it was just everything was just out of control. Felt like the whole world was a dumpster fire in that moment. My wife deleted Facebook. And guess what? And then she went on Instagram and she unfollowed everybody but our family and some of those boutique influencers that she likes to look at. And guess what? She didn't die. And the people that she unfollowed, you know what they did? They got anxious because they didn't know why. Listen, there are some things that you can do. Make your life easier. You probably hadn't even thought of that. Hey, it's what you think on. What are you focused on? Listen, what you feed grows, what you starve dies and this can help and then peace is the promise you know he says peace a couple of times he talks about the peace of God that surpasses understanding but then he also talks about the God of peace will be with you when you do these things and peace is just this settled confidence that God's got you and it says it says it will guard you now the word for guard there is interesting it's just a it's a sentry it's a soldier standing guard with weapons to guard against anything incoming, whether by air, by land, or by sea. And Paul, at this moment, remember, he was in prison with a guard right outside his door. So he knew. He knew how strong that was. He knew how powerful it was. He knew he wasn't going anywhere. Nobody was getting in. And this is what will guard our hearts and minds. Have you ever experienced that in a difficult situation? You just had this settled confidence that God was going to come through, that something good was going to happen can't explain it. Facts wouldn't, wouldn't predict it. Yet God settles it in your soul. Hey, this, this is the promise. But I think Paul also used the word guard because he knew it was going to be a battle. He knew it wouldn't be easy. He knew it's not as simple as don't worry. He knew that we were going to fight for it. And then we were going to have an enemy who was going to be coming against us whose name was Satan, who wants to distract our minds with negative thinking Cause us to doubt the goodness and the glory of God so we would get off track and be distracted. But we can have God to guard our thoughts and our hearts and our minds. Listen, anxiety will rob you, but God, God will guard you. So back to the story of my friend. He's out in the water and it's dark and he's disoriented and he doesn't know what to do and he's treading water. And he's getting short of breath. And he doesn't think he's going to make it. And he looks and he sees down the road, down the way, he sees a light. He sees a small light. And he just begins to swim towards that light. And as he swims toward it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when he got there, he realized that it was just a house on a beach, the only house along that beach. There was a little TV on in the front room. And that small light saved his life. Listen, our shepherd Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. If you walk with me, you'll never walk in darkness. Hey, this is the promise for you today. And today needs to be the day when you get free of worry and anxiety, when you release yourself from the control issues that you have, when you stop believing that you're not worth it. 
Jesus went all the way to the cross, finished everything for us, and has promised us he is going to repay everything in the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, Jesus said, for I intend to give you the kingdom. So this is what we're going to do today. Normally, we'd stand in worship, and we're going to stand in worship. But some of you, you need someone today to pray for you. So we want to do that. This is church. (laughs) So we want to pray. So as we're standing and singing, some of us will be along the front here, men and women. And you just, I want you to just walk up to them. Now, some of you are like, I have no context for that. That's never happened to me before. Like, how do I do that? It is very simple. And I realize you don't have context for that, but this is very normal in the early church. And this is how we tap into God's power. Listen closely. You're going to come down and you're going to say, will you pray for me? And whoever's down here is going to say yes. (laughs) And then you're going to say, this is what I'm worried about, or this is my issue. Whatever it is, is on your mind. You're going to tell them. And they're going to put their arm on your shoulder and they're going to pray. They're not going to push you back and fall down. Nothing like that's going to happen. It's going to be very simple. It's going to be very short, but very powerful. Sometimes the simple things are the most powerful. And if you're thinking right now, oh, I don't know me, I'm not doing that. That's you. So don't walk out of here and negate the promises of God in your life. Man, let somebody pray for you today so that you can live different, so you won't miss another moment, another hour, another day, another month, another year with your worry. Let's pray together. God, I just so believe that you're a God who is a God of peace and comfort, and God, that you come so that we don't have to live in worry and anxiety. And God, the struggles we face are real. Lord, we go through some difficult times and we get so many mixed messages and we get so distracted, it's so busy. God, and we don't focus on you. We don't trust you. We don't remember all that you've done for us. And God, today, we just remember you care about what we care about. And we can talk to you about what we're talking to ourselves about. And God, in these moments, these would just be holy moments. In these next five minutes that we have together at the end of this service, Lord, that you would just do something supernatural as we pray for each other. God, that you would just speak peace into our hearts. It would just sink deep down into our souls and take root and never be taken away, God. And Lord, you just give us a vision of what you have for our lives, the hope that you want us to give us, the peace you want us to live in, and the light you want us to walk in. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.